Hello, thank you for joining Elisha Power Ministries. Tonight is July 19th, 2020, Sunday night, roughly 9.58 on the East Coast of the United States, and I'm up with you. I am up with you. I know it's a little late. Many of us have to get up and punch the clock in the morning, but we're coming to you with a special late night edition. This is the first opportunity we've had to bring you our latest episode, and we're very happy to do it. Very happy to do it. And so, we would be remiss in our duty if we did not miss mention the passing of Representative John Lewis, who passed away roughly two days ago. A giant of a man. A fantastic civil rights leader. Of course, he was there with Dr. Martin Luther King, marching in the streets many streets going across the Edmund Pettus Bridge which I certainly remember reading about and learning about and how he himself was attacked for marching for equality spit upon and almost killed and so we remember Representative John Lewis who is irreplaceable, irreplaceable. His character, his integrity, his love for this country, unparalleled. I read somewhere where someone said he was the character of the Senate. He was the character of Congress, rather, excuse me. And I tell you what, you won't find a better human being than John Lewis. So I want to encourage you all to read about the life of Representative John Lewis. He has always been one of my heroes and he will continue to be one of my heroes. And how appropriate tonight that we're talking about two wrongs never make a right. That is the title of tonight's episode, Two Wrongs Never Make a Right. And it is very appropriate to mention Representative John Lewis tonight not just because of his passing but if he were still with us because tonight's show is all about not reciprocating what you receive not reciprocating what you receive and certainly there were many opportunities for the marchers for equality to reciprocate what they received but they had a non-violent movement a non-violent movement which also entailed not returning hate speech and uh, immoral character upon their oppressors but to be a witness of what uprightness, righteousness and moral character should be and certainly, Representative John Lewis, Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Al Sharpton, who was also there, Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was also there. I think of Viola Luizo, who lost her life in the struggle trying to register African Americans at the polls, shot and killed by the Ku Klux Klan, she and, and others. I think about all of these giants of African-American history and of American history, in fact. Two wrongs never make a right. 
you know, recently, and I won't mention the person's name, recently we had a celebrity come out and say some very anti-Semitic, hateful things. It could have been from a position of, you know, lack of understanding, but still that's no excuse in my book. That's no excuse. This is 2020. Um, you cannot be so ignorant and so full of hatred that you let things spew out of your mouth that have no absolute foundation when it comes to race, gender, religion, culture. You have every opportunity to educate yourself, if not formally, certainly informally, with the Internet. I mean, you can go to a public library. You can join a group. You can ask a friend. You can call a friend. You can get a lifeline. Amen. There's no reason for that. So I'm really concerned for our country here because the moral fiber of this country is completely falling apart. That's how I view it, and that's why I pray. And so we, we have to get things together because two wrongs never make a right. You never saw our civil rights leaders return evil for evil. You never saw that. You never heard them give hate speech. In fact, they went out of their way to make sure others were nonviolent. Even though there were multiple social groups at the time that did not want to remain nonviolent. Not at all. But thank God. Dr. Martin Luther King and others were able to allay those, those concerns for violence, those appeals for violence, didn't happen. Thank God for that. Did not happen. And so I'm concerned. I mean, you cannot reciprocate hatred and racism. You can't do that. Now, I understand that black people in this country, it'd be very, very difficult for black people to exhibit and actually execute systemic racism. That's not the racism I'm thinking of. I'm talking about the individual racism that we may see on a daily basis from these so-called, quote, Karens, end quote. We can't do that. We can't get on the platforms that God has blessed us with these radio shows, television shows, blogs and vlogs and return evil for evil because two wrongs never make a right. Never. We have to be like people of of old and even some people now who they know better. They know better. You can't do that. It's very disturbing. I know that people are sick and tired and people are upset and people are even afraid and people are full of anxiety because of the things you're seeing and hearing on television and newspapers and magazines. And, you know, you have one group that wants you to hate another group, etc., etc. At some point. We have to collectively say 
enough is enough. And that's what we have begun seeing the last several months after the protests of the murder of George Floyd. We see our white brothers and sisters coming out in the street saying enough is enough. They want a unified country. They want equality and racism abolished. God bless them for that. And it's in that vein that tonight we're presenting four white abolitionists who were true to the cause, just like Representative John Lewis. That's what we're talking about tonight. We promised you a week ago we would begin talking about African Americans and their history. Well, part of their history includes white abolitionists. See, because let's just let's just get the elephant out of the room. It has never been only black folks and Latinos fighting for equality. That has never been the case. It has always been a collective effort by the community of blacks, Latinos, and whites. Okay? That is fact. And we're going to discuss several of them tonight. Very briefly. Very briefly. But I want to get their names out there because it's important to know that we've all been, from a cultural and race standpoint, we've all been in this together from the very beginning. Black folks have never stood alone. Yes, we bore the brunt of the oppression, of the hatred, of the evil, of the murders. But we've never been alone. Never been alone. And so it's important that as we tell African-American history, that we also tell it from a standpoint of inclusiveness, that we include everyone who was a part of the struggle for equality. Because that's important. And so I'm going to start off by mentioning this young woman and I would like for you, if you're listening to this, and we want to thank you for listening, I'd like for you to write these names down, if you would. And, and perhaps, you know, in your spare time, you'd find their stories interesting enough that you read about them. Because they have fantastic stories. So Angelina Emily Grimke, well, was... An American abolitionist, political activist, women's rights advocate, and supporter of the women's suffrage movement, she and her sister Sarah Moore Grimke are the only white Southern women who became abolitionists. Now, they were from Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina. Now, what do we know about Charleston, South Carolina during the Civil War? I mean... Staunch, staunch Confederates, which is probably why she and her sister Sarah are the only two white Southern women who became abolitionists. Okay. And they actually despise slavery. 
after witnessing its cruel effects at a young as a at a young age. So remember her, Angelina Emily Grimke, and her sister Sarah Moore Grimke. I won't go deep into each person's life that I mentioned tonight, but I want to at least get their names out there so that you'll know that we've never been alone. And we've always had someone or some group of people to support us, even as we do today. As a matter of fact, if I could just tell you a little bit more about Angelina, she became the first woman to address a legislative body when she spoke to the Massachusetts state legislator on women's rights and abolition. That helped set the, set the agenda later followed by Elizabeth Caddy Stanton Susan B. So listen, we've never been alone. Thank God for that. And you're not alone now. And I'm talking specifically to African Americans right now. You're not alone now. I know things may look bleak sometimes. And it seems like you have nowhere to turn. And sometimes our political leaders, they do fail us. They let us down. And it seems as if we have no advocate. Well, I'm here to tell you. Well, first of all, being a, a Christian minister, man, I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ is your advocate. Okay, I'm going to tell you that. And secondly, I'm going to tell you that we do have folks, both black, white, and every other culture and race, that do support equality and the end of racism and social justice because that's what should happen okay so you're not alone no it seems like it but you're not and the next person I like to mention and of course we've heard this name many many times is William Lloyd Garrison who signed and printed his name W.M. Lloyd Garrison he was a prominent American abolitionist, a journalist, a suffragist, and social reformer. Now, William Lloyd Garrison, very popular, very popular. Matter of fact, in 1832, he helped form the New England Anti-Slavery Society. So he was very active. And that organization was a national organization dedicated to achieving abolition. Now, he did advocate that, he argued rather, I should say, that free states and slave states should, in fact, be made separate. So he was about having a free, completely free territory for people of color. So we wouldn't have to, our ancestors wouldn't have to deal with all the oppression, the rape, the murders. William Lloyd Garrison. William Lloyd Garrison. And here's one. Here's a name that we all know very, very well. Harriet Beecher Stowe. Who was an abolitionist, an author. She came from the Beecher family, a famous religious family. And of course, what did she do? She wrote the novel Uncle Tom's Cabin, which depicts 
the harsh conditions for enslaved African Americans. Bless our heart for that. Bless our heart for that. And, uh, a matter of fact, she wrote that book in 1852. And that book basically just opened the eyes of the entire nation. That book became a watershed moment in American history. I mean, it brought, it brought complete, what should I say? I mean, it, it woke this country up to the point where people begin to stand up and say, wait a minute. We weren't quite sure of everything that was going on with slavery, but this is this is ridiculous. And many people, thanks to her book, joined the anti-slavery movement. Thank God for that. Thank God for Harriet Beecher Stowe. Wow. And of course, I like to mention and this will be the last abolitionist I mentioned tonight. Tonight is not a very long show, but still I want to mention these four people because they're pillars of our society. People talk about the founding fathers for me as an African American. These four people that I'm mentioning to you tonight, these are the founding fathers for me and for people who look like me. No disrespect to anyone else, but these individuals, I would consider them as my founding fathers and mothers. Because these individuals, they cared about me and they cared about people who looked like me. And they showed it by the way they lived. It wasn't lip service only. It was about action. See, because my Bible tells me that faith without works is dead. They put their faith and their work together. That's what they did. So I completely, overwhelmingly respect these individuals I'm mentioning to you tonight. So last but not least, of course, is Mr. John Brown. He was an abolitionist. He was a preacher. He armed insurre an insurrection to try and overthrow the institution of slavery. I mean, he led small groups of volunteers during the bleeding Kansas crisis of 1856. But of course, guys, I'm reading about these individuals from the internet as I speak to you I'm looking at Wikipedia now there are a myriad of books about all four of these individuals and I would encourage you to click on over to Amazon I'm giving them free a free promo <laughs> click on over to Amazon or uh, go to your public library um, and of course there's so many different book outlets it doesn't have to be Amazon I'm just that's the one that comes to mind because that's the one I use the most, <laughs> Amazon. But John Brown. And what's interesting, when John Brown led the insurrection and he tried to arm the slaves, who did the United States government send to try and stop him? Captain Robert E. Lee. He was a captain at the time. I remember learning this in college. Captain Robert E. Lee came to stop old John Brown. But I'm here to tell you right now, 
two wrongs never make a right. So we cannot we cannot derail the progress we've made by becoming the same thing that our oppressor would love for us to come, to become, which is to reciprocate what they have done and what they are doing. No, we don't want those individuals we saw marching in the street, the tens of thousands of people from every walk of life, every ethnicity. We don't want to say or do things that would cause them to second guess their involvement. Because right now there's a movement all over this world to stop the bigotry, the racism, the oppression. And we want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And so I'm thankful that that celebrity who made anti-Semitic and racist comments, I'm thankful that he apologized. But to me, there has to be more than just an apology when we hear this. And I'm not picking on that one person. I'm saying in general, there has to be more than just an apology. There has to be education. There has to be true work to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And it goes beyond education, really. Because you can't legislate what's in a person's heart. So... A person who makes anti-Semitic comments and who makes racist comments, you have to make that, you have to make sure that the individuals you hurt not only understand that you are contrite about it, but you need to actually put your work where your apology is, in my opinion. You need to do something about that. You, it's, it's not enough to just sit and say, hey, guy, I'm sorry. I should have never said that. No, you need to do something. You need to fix that. You need to fix that. And I'm happy that this particular individual met with a few rabbis who educated him. But it has to be more than that. See, I heard someone else say it's not enough to be anti-racist. You have to actually work. You have to fight against racism. You just can't say I'm not racist. That doesn't fly anymore. That flew before, but that doesn't fly anymore. Not anymore. Not in this day and age. Absolutely not. Not at all. And another thing. You can't be so angry that you develop hatred for people who have oppressed you and your ancestors no 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 Martin Luther King and others taught against that and I'm a big proponent that you, you don't do that that's a part of two wrongs never make a right and you don't return evil for evil and you can't be fearful of people who have oppressed you either okay because fear will make you do crazy things and make you say crazy things too 
So you have to be careful with that. Very careful with that. So I would just simply say, thank God for our white brothers and sisters who have always stood by our side. Because it is a fight. And we're going to need them. And we're going to need to keep pointing out all of the racism and have them support us because it's going to take a Herculean effort for change to come. And I just pray to God that no one else has to lose their life. The streets, there's so much evil in the streets. So much racism out there. It's unbelievable. Even, you know, I won't get into anything I've seen and heard personally, but just know that racism is very, very real. And I know for some strange reason that many churches, they teach that it's not real, which is a sin. Racism is a sin. And if you teach that it's not real, that it's all in the mind of those who think they're oppressed, you are definitely 1,000% a part of the problem. You are. You are part of the problem. Who are you to deny how another person is treated when they're telling you how they're treated? Can you imagine being married and your wife constantly tells you, honey, that doesn't make me happy. The thing that you do, whatever that thing may be, by the way. It doesn't make me happy. I, I, I feel uncomfortable with it. I feel beaten down by it. I feel oppressed. And then that that person come back and say that husband comes back and say, honey, that's all in your mind. First of all, it'll probably make your blood boil. Honey, that's all in your mind. Yeah, that's not happening. Oh, look at it from this perspective. You see my point? And that's what has happened for decades with respect to racism oh those black people there's those pronouns those people there you go oh those those people are always complaining that stuff isn't really happening and that's how it has be become a perpetual problem because it has never been totally addressed head on you can't put a band-aid over a surgery scar i mean over if you get your gallbladder taken out don't expect the doctor to walk into the room and hand you a little two-ply band-aid. No, he's going to have to sew that up. <laughs> I mean, you would have gone through some amnesia. Not amnesia, but anesthesia. You would have probably taken some antibacterial medication. Because you just got your gallbladder taken out. And so to hand you a little plastic two-ply band-aid, that's just not going to do. You're going to need some morphine, most likely. You're going to need to have your concern addressed. And that's what has happened. It's, quote, those people again. They're just always throwing out those pronouns. And you can't, you can't do that. Not if you truly have love in your heart like you say you do. Like every Sunday... We go to a place, a temple, a church, a mosque, a synagogue, and we talk about this God that we say we know. Right. But then when we walk out of that church, it's like things are back to normal. 
Well, you just had supposedly a spiritual encounter, but yet it meant nothing to you because already, as soon as you walk out, you're the same person as when you walked in. I, I thought I thought church was supposed to be transformative. It was it's church is supposed to highlight things that we all need to work on and then we go work on those things as we trust God to help us, lead us, and guide us. But what has happened is you have certain people who think they're qualified to speak on behalf of other people and say, those things, those things aren't going on. That That's just not happening. That's not real life. Um, they just want to complain. They just want to complain about something. Oh, why don't we just give them everything? They, they asked for the world. They asked for too much. And now, thank God, we have people who are seeing the light and they now understand that those cries for help, those were not wolf calls. Those were not just fake wolf calls. No, the wolf has been here. The wolf has been here since before 1619 when the first slaves came to Virginia. Okay, but the problem is, it's hard for the wolf to see himself. But thank God the mirror is coming out and people are beginning to look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, am I really? Wow. Yes, yes. And so we need that. And the only way we're going to make it. Is with each other. It's by going through this change together and we all working in unison to bring about change. Okay? That's how it's going to happen. Not by denying, but by acknowledging that we have a problem. You have to acknowledge there's a problem. If you can't acknowledge there's a problem, then you will not ever fix what is wrong. So I want to thank God for men and women all over the world, every ethnicity, black, white, red, and yellow. We're all precious in his sight. That's what he taught us in Bible school. That has to be real now. That has to be real. It can't just be a song. It has to be real. Red and yellow, black and white. We are all precious in his sight. And then we need to go do something about it. We have to go stand up. When you see racism in the workplace, you have to stand up. You have to say something. You have to take care of that. You can't let that stuff pass. When you see racism within your own family, you have to address that. You have to cut that off. You have to cut that off. And let it let it start with me. Okay. I'm ready. I'm not going to allow racism around me. I don't care who it comes from. It doesn't matter. It could be white against black. It could be black against white. It doesn't matter. It could be black on black. It could be white on white. It doesn't matter. Because I solely believe. 100%. That you cannot. Have. Have. Hatred in your heart 
and say you love God. You can't. 1 John 4 verse 20. How can you say you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother who you see every day? And I'm paraphrasing that, of course. 1 John chapter 4 verse 20. Check it out. But anyway, two wrongs never work, make a right. So we can't reciprocate what they've done to our ancestors and to us today. We can't do that and not have a and have our, our movement, if you will, fall apart. You can't do that. We need allies. Need allies. So let's make sure we hold on to the allies as we go through this hopefully peaceful transition of balancing out equality bringing equality to all of america for all of americans and we can't lose sight of our native american brothers and sisters too they've been through a lot as well so we cannot forget them we can't forget our jewish brothers and sisters they've been through a lot remember the same racist people who hate blacks usually hate jews and native americans too Okay, so you got to remember that. Two wrongs never make a right. We have to do what is right. And we have to do it from a position of honesty and love. That's what I'm advocating on this particular channel, on this broadcast. We'll win if we show love. I really believe that. And if we're peaceful. And you got to be smart. No hatred. Not at all. So anyway, I really appreciate you guys for listening tonight. I've been talking now for about 35 minutes. And it's getting later. And I'm going to let you guys go to bed. <laughs> and I want to thank you once again for listening. This is Brother John of Elisha Power Ministries. You didn't have to listen tonight, but you listened. You could have listened to other podcasts, broadcasts, but you chose to listen to this one. And I want to thank you. And I want to say God bless all of you. And, of course, I'd be derelict in my duties if I didn't say, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, I do. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 through 13 says... That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. If you want to meet Jesus right where you are, right where you are, it's very simple. Just confess your sins. Say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. I know I'm a sinner. Be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. I believe by faith you are my Lord and Savior. Lead me, guide me, teach me your word. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's simple. It's not a quadratic equation. It's not a Pythagorean theorem. It's just that simple. And then you get into the word. And learn his character. And be who he called you to be. Because everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a purpose. You're not a mistake. I don't know where you're listening to this from. I mean, you can be in prison. You can be... You can be at a wrong, the wrong place at the wrong time. I'll just put it like that and I'll leave that alone. But I'm here to tell you right now, but you are love. Don't, don't let anyone tell you that you're not. You are. And I just want to say that I, 
I'm praying that this country will grow from everything that has been happening the last several years, actually. Didn't start with George Floyd. It started decades ago. And I just hope that we, we grow into a more perfect union, amen, and that we'll truly be our brothers and sisters keeper. Because it can't be about skin. We got to get rid of that. It can't be about skin. Skin is just covering. I'll tell you who you can ask. You can ask Miriam. If you go to Numbers chapter 12 in the Bible, there's a story of how Miriam and Aaron, her brother, they murmured against Moses, who was their brother as well, their blood brother. They murmured against him because of the wife he chose, who was different from them. And God got so angry, he came down himself in a cloud. And he stood in the door of the temple and he cursed Miriam. And she had to be outside the camp for seven days. Moses pleaded for her life, by the way. And so God, God cursed her. So what are we doing when we display racism? How are we breaking God's heart? You break God's heart, but then you go to church and you want to praise him when you just disrespect it. So many people, based on the color of their skin or something about their culture, or maybe it's about their belief. I believe it breaks God's heart. I believe racism hurts God. I believe that. I mean, read that story, Numbers chapter 12. Read it. There are other examples as well, but that's one that sticks out more prominently in my mind. So God bless. Uh, once again, this has been Brother John, Lashup Power Ministries. I want to thank you guys for listening. And you have a wonderful evening. Take care. We'll be back with you. And if you like this show, I mean, I just, you know, I'm, uh, I'm kind of laid back, Southern guy. And um, I just speak from the heart. If this is the type of show you like, I would encourage you to please subscribe. We're on Blog Talk, blogtalkradio.com. We're on Breaker. We're on Anchor. We're on Red Circle. And um, several others. Look us up. And um, we look forward to talking to you once again. God bless. Have a good night.